Hello and welcome to another episode of Rikindi. Today we're joined by Joshua Dougal. Uh, Joshua had completed his bachelor's and master's in biomedical science. He was on his way to becoming a doctor and then something changed his mind. So uh, let's find out why. Uh, Joshua, thank you so much for joining us and welcome. Thanks, Lulu. No, I'm, uh, I'm glad to be on the, uh, on the podcast. Awesome, awesome. Thanks so, for having me. No worries. So, um, Joshua, as we begin for all of our listeners, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? What got you interested in biomedical science and what happened on your journey? Um, so I suppose originally I was, I was interested in biomed because, I, you know, I think the reason why most people do, um, do their degree is because they just did well on a certain subject in high school. So I, I was always very interested in, um, in biology just because I, I did well in high school in it. And also because, you know, I had a good teacher. So it was one of those things that wasn't, it, it was kind of the best choice you can make at the time because you're not really completely aware of all the factors that um, kind of constitute making a good decision in what you study. So I, I went into biomed in um, university and it, it wasn't bad at all. It was, it was uh, interesting. Um, didn't, didn't completely grab me by the, um, uh, you know, rarely intensely, but it, it definitely was something that I, I enjoyed studying. Um, and so it was a, what was the question that um, why, yeah, Why so what, what, so I'm um, doing a biomedical degree and, um, you know, Josh and I were speaking mm. prior to this, um, he was just discussing how you, he learned so much about the human body and within that degree, you know, you learned that the body was quite self-sufficient, um, that it could actually overcome quite a lot of things. So I'd be really interested to, uh, learn all about that. Yeah. Yeah. No. So essentially my whole uh, journey relative to health, I suppose, with within that kind of area was that I learned during biomedical science, essentially a lot of theory, a lot, a lot of theory and um, not reductionist theory. It was useful. But what I what I started to learn is that uh, not just the biomedical science uh, sphere, but but medicine in general rarely did approach the human body from the perspective of, um, should we say, a, a scientific articles and um, very, very um, almost mechanical perspectives. Um, or at least this was my, my experience with it. Um, you know, if someone had a disease, it was you, you would study the pathophysiology of that disease and the potential causes, but there, there, was, there was very little um, exploratory explanation for its pathophysiology, or I should say its pathogenesis. It was usually just... Um, a, a very, what, what came across to me as a fairly reductionist perspective of how complex the causes of a disease can be. Um, but of course, you know, I was studying biomedical science, to be fair, I wasn't studying psychology or, or any other kind of um, uh, more uh, varied studies, you know, that was my degree. But um, the more I learned about how medicine works in the modern world and how we approach, um, how we approach illness. It, it really did become apparent to me that we weren't really integrating multiple perspectives into a single one. Um, and so long story, hey, see you later. It's just uh, my sister, she's gone to school. Um, but um, it became very apparent to me that um, we did approach illness and we did approach sickness from the perspective of uh, strictly biological theory that was supported by where we are currently in research. And, and even then, not so much. Um, but um, it, it was really a non-holistic, um, if you could say that, perspective. And so I, I kind of, that did kind of turn me off of medicine a little bit, um, because I was originally studying biomedical science to go forward and uh, then do my uh, medical medical degree or doctorate, I should say. Um, but yeah, it did uh, that my experience with biomedical science and my study of what I would actually learn in medical science and my experience with doctors and how you they are trained to treat illness. Um, it all rarely contributed to my choice to then 
do holistic health coaching um, instead of medicine after my degree. Yeah, wow, very, very interesting. Um, particularly because, you know, as you're saying and just rephrasing it, um, you know, your body is so self-sufficient in and of itself. And um, correct me if I'm wrong, is when your body is fit, healthy and happy, it can actually um, uh, conquer or um, overcome a lot of illnesses that are out there. Um, but if you have a high cortisol rate, if you're really stressed, um, or if you're not taking care of your body, then your body starts to, your cells don't divide properly. Um, and it's more likely for you to catch or uh, develop a lot of these diseases that we are facing yeah. in this modern day. Um, and then as you just expressed, instead of you going through, um, and you'll go and see a doctor and the doctor will prescribe you medication, which will have a side effect, um, rather than actually addressing the issue and saying, hey, look, let's start when you um, are quite young and teaching you how to tr be healthy, how to be, um, uh, let your body work at its optimum capacity. Is that what you've experienced in your biomedical degree? Is that something that you found? Well, it's, it's not only something I've, I've experienced personally, but it's also something that I've seen is actually reflected very well in the current literature. It's not really debated that stressful states of being are, um, don't affect your health. It's, it's pretty much accepted. But um, for a reason that I'm still kind of discovering, it's not really something that's reflected in our medical practice. But um, no, that's absolutely true. If you are very stressed out and you have high cortisol and you've elevated stress markers, that's absolutely going to affect the way that your body responds to illness, responds to tissue healing, and all the other kind of processes that you need for optimal vitality in your body, 100%. Um, but that that is a perspective that I, I just don't see integrated at all in um, in my experience in the way we approach illness. It's very much um, it's very much uh, a a medication for a problem kind of perspective. So someone does have if someone is sick, uh, you know, it's it's very rarely the case that a doctor will say to you, look, you know, you've got to figure out this relationship you have with your, with your husband, you know, and if you do that, then you'll be able to fix this uh, throat uh, illness you have, you know, that's a very, it's a very rare instance that that happens. Definitely. No, wow. That's very, very interesting. And um, it's really uh, the reason I wanted you on this podcast is because, you know, you were the first person that I've actually spoken to who's gone down the path of becoming a doctor or, you know, uh, specializing in um, medicine and then completely switched and changed their mind to diverge from that pathway. And I found that really intriguing, particularly the reason as to why. Um, and so moving forward, um, after you decided, hey, this isn't the pathway for me, I think I should rather deal with the body in a more holistic manner. Um, where has that led you? Um, well, it's led me to my holistic health coaching business. And, you know, there's a lot more, um, there's a lot more pleasure in that because I found that it's, it's really satisfying to actually sit down with someone and really get to know them, you know? So it's, it's very integral to uh, the way I do coaching that uh, I come to know exactly the entire as much information as I can get about that person so the full picture so it usually takes you know at minimum three one-hour sessions to really get a good picture of where someone's at you know so I'll, I'll take orthopedic measurements and I have two pages of orthopedic measurements that I that I fill out and that's that's literally just measurements on weight distribution um, you know the, the length of your bones, um, your pelvic tilt, um, any kind of, any kind of, uh, way I can, I can figure out there's an, a physical imbalance in the kind of musculoskeletal structure of the human body. Um, and then I, once I've filled that out, um, I'll get clients often, often before they even come in to spend probably about an hour filling out a lifestyle, um, questionnaire. And that's just trying to really cover the basic, basic factors of lifestyle that can really affect your health. And then I have a questionnaire that's designed to ascertain what kind of diet is most suited to, um, is that you're most suited to. And uh, on top of that as well is also really discussion about the person's work and, and lifestyle, you know, so if they have a very sedentary lifestyle, if they 
are, you know, perhaps builders or construction workers, like a, a client I had the other day is a hairdresser. And so she spends a lot of time leaning on her left foot and slightly rotated to the, to the right. So, you know, rarely, and you know, all these questionnaires and, and things I employ are actually not even as deep as you could go. You know, you can go far, far deeper, but it's just the bare minimum um, in, 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 in pure regards to efficiency. Um, but it really does enable me then to take a realistic attempt at fixing someone's issues. And it's not a, uh, a blind guess at all, you know, and I, I, I personally am, am confused when I see a culture in medicine where you'll go to be treated by a GP and you're in and out of that room in five minutes. That to me just uh, doesn't make sense. Um, I don't see how you can even come close to figuring out what someone's actual problem is through that, you know? And so, um, yeah, that's, that's more or less the approach I take. Um, but, but that being said, I, I, I don't think a lot of people actually want to do that. I think a lot of people who go to GPs and doctors, you know, actually not interested at all in staying for an hour. They don't have that kind of, uh, shall we say, commitment to their own um, health crisis. Um, a lot of people do just want medication. So it's, um, it's definitely uh, not like there's some boogeyman, you know, coordinating the sorts. It's a joint kind of operation. For sure. Yeah, awesome. No, that's very, very interesting. Um, and particularly because, you know, your body is so interconnected and people, as you just expressed, um, are you will say, oh, I've got, you know, a sore wrist and not actually looking into how that process could have happened, you know, how everything interrelates and rather just wants a quick fix uh, solution. Mm. So that's quite, that's quite excellent. Um, when you're saying you had um, a client come in and you usually ask them what they eat, what their lifestyle is and so on. I think we, it's good to break down each of those um, and go a little bit deeper. So in terms of nutrition, um, what have you learned about nutrition and food and the impacts that that has on your body? Well, food is, is, is literally just the, I mean, a lot of the stuff in holistic health, you can be quite reductionist with. It comes down to simple principles that you can explain a lot of stuff with. So food is, the building materials of the rest of your body. It's what you use to build your body. And so I, I believe um, the most commonly accepted statements on how fast your body replaces itself. I think it's once every one to three years, all of the replaceable tissues in your body are replaced. So you're essentially rebuilding yourself um, in that time period. And if you eat bad foods, you know, if you eat things chock full of hydrogenated oils and, and all of these dodgy kind of fats and sugars and whatnot, you're not going to be building a body fundamentally at the molecular level with good material. It's going to be something that's, that's very flawed uh, or not flawed. I should say it's going to be very inhibited. You know, people wonder what's this disease and it's like, you know, you've been eating fats that are more like plastic for the last year, you know, and that's what's happening is, you know, your cells are incorporating you know, weird kind of fats that can't even do their job, can't even permeate molecules properly through the cell wall. And, uh, you know, then they kind of start getting emphysema or maybe not emphysema, but, you know, all these other kinds of illnesses and they wonder why, you know, it's um, food. Food really is one of those. It's, it's one of those things at the top of the, at the top of the uh, hierarchy when it comes to, to your health, you, you, it starts with food for sure. So let's break that down. What, for those listening, what is uh, good fats and what are you saying is plastic fat? So people can have an idea of what they need to shift within their own lifestyle. Uh, well, so if you look, essentially, if you look at the molecular structure of fats in fast foods and uh, very processed foods, the, the, the fundamental structure does vary quite a bit compared to uh, fats that you would get, say, from, a, from an animal or in an egg. Um, and so what that essentially translates to is that your actual, um, in your biochemistry of your body, your cells are unable to function as they should. Um, and that can lead to a lot of issues, a lot of issues, as you can imagine, just through the, the whole cascade of the way um, vitamins and proteins and other things go in and out of your cells 
So if there's one thing that people who are listening can incorporate, what would that be? Good, good, healthy fats. What? Uh, eat food. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. No, eat foods that are um, essentially whole foods. Avoid processed foods at every turn. Again, it's like I said, you know, it's pretty simple and um, you can really reduce the whole thing to a couple principles. And it just is eat where possible a whole organic food. Um, don't eat foods that are processed. Don't eat foods that have been uh, manipulated um, as much as possible. And you, you'll probably, yeah, you'll probably be fine. Simple stuff. And uh, also, I mean, uh, prior to this, we were also having a brief conversation about um, the difference between organic um, whole grown food or food yeah. that you can easily buy in the supermarket um, that doesn't necessarily have the word organic on it. Uh, what is the mm. difference and what should people be looking out for? Why should people go organic? Yeah, so the difference between organic food and commercial food is is just the, the use of hormones. Um, and uh, I believe it, it does vary, but it's usually hormones and pesticides um, and, and chemicals used in non-natural non chemicals used in the, the farming process. So you can use organic-based um, pesticides, I believe. So I, I think from memory, milk, for example, has a natural pesticide effect. So you can use that, but you, you can't use in organic farming anything that's artificial and you cannot use hormones. So the reason why it's very beneficial for health to eat organic is because what you're eating is food that has been grown um, out of a purely natural process. And what that means is that you're getting food the way it was intended to be I say intended, but the way, you know, we have it adapted to eat it for the last, you know, thousand years. Um, if you look at food that is grown in a non-organic commercial way, the hormones and chemicals that they use essentially enable them to grow big uh, animals and crops where they usually wouldn't grow, you know, at all. Mm. So, for example just off the top of my head um a lot of the a lot of agricultural companies can repeatedly grow the same crops on uh, the same soil over and over and over again uh, whereas usually what would happen in an organic farmer would have to rotate crops you can't grow the same crops on the same soil because uh, it's a certain kind of crop will deplete a certain kind of mineral from the soil and so rotating that is essential to replenish the relevant um, contents of the soil, if that makes sense. Whereas a commercial farmer, as far as I understand, just can continually farm the same soil over and over and over again with the same things because there are being the plants are being essentially controlled through the use of hormones, um, which force them to grow. Uh, even in, in conditions where the plants wouldn't usually grow. And what you get is you get a plant that has very, it's essentially a husk of what it is in its normal state. It's, uh, it's, it's a sped, um, should I say, uh, it's a quickly grown, you know, kind of um, not dead version of itself, but close, you know. And so what you're eating what you're eating essentially a plant that has no nutritional content in the sense of what it would usually have. It's essentially you're eating a lifeless plant in a way. Um, so that's, that's, that's basically the, the danger, I suppose, of eating commercial food and commercial food only is you're, you're pretty much not getting what you need. Yeah. Wow. And you see that, I mean, once again, if you look into anything that, has been, um, you know, factory farming is causing a lot of stress on the animals. If they're kept really tight um, together, they experience a high amount of cortisol because obviously they're in cages. They, you know, it's all about maximizing profit. So if those animals experience a very high amount of cortisol, um, would that come out in their meat? And if we consume that meat, would that have an impact on our body? No, absolutely. So if you, if you look at... Um the current literature on, on stress and the endocrinology associated with it. It's not, it's, it's quite obvious that how you stressed you are affects the, it affects the structure of your body in, in a very real way. 
So endocrinology always translates, virtually always translates into a real physiological state, which affects your tissues very much. So if you live in a state of stress all the time, you, you essentially are living, if you're an animal and you're very stressed all the time, as far as the, the uh, animal's body is concerned, there is a lion waiting for it just around the corner. And so it has to be ready to run or fight at any time. And the thing is, is, is usually in most biological systems, the systems responsible for uh, recovery and rest and uh, synthesis of you know, proteins and um, just general recovery systems is opposite to the systems responsible for fight or flight um you know and, and stress related system so if you have a animal that's constantly stressed you have an animal that is fundamentally unhealthy which means that you're going to be consuming meat which is yeah is fundamentally not going to be vital meat and when i say vital i mean it's not going to have the ideal uh, composition of proteins fats minerals and vitamins so yeah, interesting, interesting. And so now um, an, indiv an individual has decided, all right, let's um, change all of the food. Um, I'm going to be eating um, all organic food, um, you know, ensuring that the, the meat that I consume hasn't been factory farmed. Uh, the um, vegetables I consume have been grown with the minimum amount of pesticides and herbicides. Um, moving forward, uh, the next step that I've seen you utilize in your life um, is ice baths. And I was just curious uh, what the benefits of ice baths are um, and what impact has that had on your body? Well, ice baths, um, yeah, no, ice baths are good fun. Uh, more or less, the reason why I started doing ice baths originally actually was because I was wanting to lose weight in a way that's very effective. So one of the most effective ways that I've ever lost weight has been essentially employing a method that I learned from uh, Ben Greenfield and it's called strike stroll shiver. So essentially what it is, is that the strike represents a dose of uh, a healthy dose of black coffee. And what that does is that immediately start raises your metabolism in the morning. And that's really helping, uh, you know, metabolize fats because you you're fasted obviously in the morning. So, and it also kills hunger, which is very useful. You can wake up some mornings and you can be absolutely starving. So if you have popped down a black coffee, your hunger's killed pretty much straight away. And that's, that's very useful, especially for someone like me, you know? So, um, and then that's the strike. And then the stroll is just going for a walk afterwards and, or, or walk, or it can be uh, any kind of, you know, kind of light to middle difficulty cardio for 20 to 30 minutes. And that's just getting your body again in a high metabolism state. And then the ice bath after all of that. So, so a lot of people don't realize this, but there's actually a uh, part of your fat. Um, I believe it's brown fat, which is literally just there as an evolutionary adaptation to keep you warm when you need to be warm. Um, so it, it burns in response to, to cold. Um, and I think it's called non-shivering thermogenesis is the name of that process. So when you jump in an ice bath and your metabolism's jacked up from black coffee and a cardio run, and you get inside that ice bath, your metabolism's already churning, you know, through fat. It's already kind of initiated that process. And now you're kind of supercharging it with ice, you know, you're sitting in ice. And so that rarely, I lost a lot of weight very quickly with that, uh, with that technique. But um, I also noticed after doing that, like the rest of the day, I felt fantastic. I felt um, incredible mental clarity. Um, emotionally, I would say it was the biggest difference. I really did feel, um, uh, I suppose you, I, I did feel a lot calmer and relaxed um you know maybe it was by virtue of the contrast you know of jumping into an ice cold bath at six in the morning you know nothing else seems much uh, very bad after that but um i definitely did notice an emotional difference for sure with it as well and so after that i mean it was it was really just one of those things i kept doing because it um largely for the for the emotional and uh, psychological benefit yeah 
phenomenal. Yeah, really, really cool. Um, and then you have the breathing method as well, which I'm sure that, you know, the whole Wim Hof method is like stepping into the ice bath, um, taking those deep breaths and really focusing on that breath. And that can actually almost bring you into quite a meditative state because instead of focusing on the external and focusing on, you know, what impact this has on your body, you're just breathing deeply and, and you're really coming into yourself. And I think even yeah. that without any of the other benefits is so powerful. Um, to well, it, exactly. Yeah, no, that's the one thing with the ice bath, you know, it's, it's not, it's not easy. It's not easy at all. Um, every single time again, to the ice bath, it's, it's hard, you know, I mean, it does get easier the more you do it, but as you're getting into that ice bath, you do a hundred percent need to um, focus on your breathing. That's probably the biggest uh, thing um, that helps you cope with the cold is focusing on your breath. And it really was quite interesting, you know, the, the difference between, you know, kind of getting into that ice bath and, and having a, almost freaking out and being completely calm really was just breathing, just breathing. Um, you can immediately notice the difference. And so I was kind of, I started doing this quite a while ago. And so this was back when I was kind of a skeptic of, um, you know, meditation and breathing and so forth. But that, that was firsthand experience, you know, and I find myself, you know, doing this almost this piston breathing, you know, um, and that that was firsthand yeah firsthand proof for me that it really is legit mm. so i think you know it, because it's such a stressful state i would not be surprised if effective breathing translates well into stressful times you know to help okay. you process and to, yeah i'm sure you would know more about this but to help you um ground yourself i suppose in your breath and in your body it's it's a very important thing but again one of those things that is really best uh best proven through through direct experience it's not it's not one of those things you can talk to people you know yeah there's a uh, word for that it's called uh, participatory knowledge so participatory knowledge means that you can only gain it by participating there's one thing to read about something but there's another thing to actually practice it and notice the differences and breath work and meditation is phenomenal for the mind it's phenomenal to allow you to maintain a high level of concentration for a prolonged period of time it allows you to get out of that fight or flight so that you can actually um you know be present and look fight or flight has its benefits you know if you are running away from something there is actually a real threat and you need to run away you your mind has to think of the fastest outcome or the quickest way to, to go so it can't think oh you know is this lion um you know, what color are the lion's toenails? How is it feeling today? You can't think of that. You have to think lion's coming, I need to run. So it does have its time and place. However, our modern day society, there is no threat. You know, that the threat mainly is in our head. Most of the threats that we experience in this day and age is in our mind. And so people are running around with high cortisol levels, chasing, running away from this imaginary lion. Um, and all it's doing is destroying their body because they can't digest their food. They can't actually... Um, get into that state where their cells divide properly. And so breath work really allows that integration uh, to take place. So very, very phenomenal. And um, yeah, I've personally seen some profound impacts and continue to within my own mind and how I interact with the world around me. Um, so, yeah. Um, and so I also, um, as part of your journey away from uh, the normal pathway of, um, you know, becoming a doctor and prescribing people medication. Um, you mentioned that um, there's also psychological elements. So there's one part about eating really well, um, you know, practicing your breath work and ice baths and so on, going for long walks. Then there's also the mental side of things. And I was just wondering if you wanted to touch on um, the mental side and what you've learned through that, who have been your mentors um, and yeah. So that's, that, that's an interesting uh, part of my experience in the sense that it, it wasn't something, it was something I was vaguely aware of, um, but rarely came into, came into a more obvious uh, presentation um, as I developed more and more in my understanding of, of human biology. So I, at first it became very apparent that states of mind do affect the body. That was... Um, that was definitely something that became apparent to me probably in, I think, second year of my biomedical science degree. And then after that, um, I started reading, um, I started uh, reading Jung, 
in third year of uni. And what Jung showed me was essentially that there's a very there's a very dominating force that lies in us in our subconscious that rarely does control the way we perceive and live our lives. And it was from that perspective, along with uh, my understanding of how states of mind affect the rest of the body, that I started to understand that psychology really was not uh, any joke when it came to understanding illness and how it manifests itself. So uh, an example that I, I usually talk about with clients, you know, I'll say, you know, a belief system can cause cancer. And, you know, often when I say that people look at me and they're, they're kind of like, give me you know, that funny eye, but it's quite simple. You know, if you have a certain belief system of the world, say, say you're a nihilist, right? You're a very nihilistic person and you believe that there's, there's really, you know, nature is dead and there's no substance to the world and there's no such thing as spirit. And ultimately we're just sacks of, you know, soup. Um, that's chemical reaction has you know, led us to experience the world in a certain way. If that's your belief, if that's your nihilistic belief, then that's going to translate into a certain perception of the world. And that perception of the world is going to dictate how you, how you obviously perceive it and then the emotional response to it. And then your emotional response is going to dictate a certain endocrinological profile that's associated with it, which then translates into your physiology and then translates into potentially illness. So, so as with the nihilistic example, if you're very nihilistic, you're going to see the world in a nihilistic way, which means you're probably going to be very stressed, which means that you're probably going to have your immune system downregulated, right? Because cortisol opposes the uh, function of the immune system. It suppresses it. And cancer, one of the main things that kills and manages cancer is your immune system. So if you have a very nihilistic worldview, it's absolutely the case that that can be the cause of your cancer. Yeah. Wow. Very interesting. Very, very interesting. It is. It is. It's, it's, um, but it, it sounds very superstitious when you say it the first time, but if you walk yourself through those steps, it actually does make quite mm -hmm. objective sense. Oh no, definitely. Definitely. I mean, uh, as, as we previously have discussed the impacts of that high cortisol rate, um, and not enabling your your cells to divide properly. So definitely, definitely. And uh, so what other things has Jung uh, taught you that you found really interesting? I, I found absolutely fascinating about Jung is how he has reconciled, essentially in my eyes, uh, reconciled religion and psycho uh, psychology, the study of psychology. So long story short, um, my experience, uh, religious experience growing up was strongly Christian. It was, um, I was a very, very committed Christian, you could say. Um, and then I, I did experience a process where I, I didn't quite see, um, or should I say the, my perspective of Christianity and how it was, wasn't really matching up with reality. Um, I didn't really understand why the Christian God that I was taught about in church would allow or behave in the way that he apparently did in the world around us. So after that, I did fall into quite a nihilistic period of my life. And this was, this was back when I was, um, I was really not in good shape. You know, I was spent, spending tons of time just playing video games and very um, quite lost. You could say, you know, in a, in where I was because I, my belief system was in shambles. And that's something that's always been absolutely essential to me is that the world around me makes a lot of sense. I, you know, it's, I find it impossible to live in a world where I'm not, I, I don't understand what's going on. Uh, yeah. So Jung, so I found, I found Jung after that. And what Jung did is he essentially proved through a series of his observations and, and scientific writing that, Religion and symbolism is not a superstitious hocus pocus, but it is in fact actually representations of very real psychic uh, states and factors within us. 
Um, and so after coming to understand that as religion actually is an essential um, religion as a essential provider of psychic structure to our subconscious, I suppose you could say. Um, I, I gained a completely new perspective on spirituality and I began to really, I suppose, from that open up a lot more to the experience of spirituality. Um, and that led me to a much better state. And I suppose really where I am now is moving to uh, a new perspective on religion from, from that, um, which is based a lot more in direct experience than it is in my head as some kind of, you know, ego structure, which, which I suppose you could say it used to be. And so how have you experienced it directly then? Since you're saying this is more of a direct experience, what experience has that been for you? Um, well, I suppose really what it has been is that I've, I've once again submitted to my subconscious, um, if I suppose you could say that, and it's, it's very similar or feels quite similar to submitting to a God, um, in the sense that I acknowledge, I acknowledge that there's certain things I have to do in order to be psychologically healthy. Uh, so for example, one thing that I've found about myself is that I absolutely need to have some kind of um, physical uh, expression of, of physical combat in my life. You know, originally that was rugby, but um, I, I used to think that it wasn't necessary. You know, as long as the world made sense around you, everything would be fine. But um, I, I had to start doing MMA um, because I, I sensed in myself that I really didn't need that aspect in my life. And so, you know, really with the knowledge uh, Jung explained about uh, ritual and um, how the subconscious really is a force to be reckoned with that you should never underestimate, I began to structure my life around things that I knew would produce the right state in me rather than trying to um, just understand the world from an intellectual sense, if that makes sense. So that's why I signed up to MMA. That's why I am doing, pursuing now a career in psychology, because I know that's closest to what I truly am in my entirety, as opposed to just what I want to be. Um, and that's also why I'll often spend, uh, times going up with um friends and you know we'll we'll do certain ceremonies with um certain uh plant medicines <laughs> um because i'm coming to in a sense submit to you know my my um i suppose you know you you, you could call it my subconscious but it really is something that we all experience in a, in a in a common way you know and we all experience um powerful subconscious forces in, in quite similar, quite similar ways, which really, you know, draws the question as to, you know, whether or not the description of gods was, was that inaccurate? You know, the, the whole idea of a God was that it's a force we cannot understand that comes upon us without our uh, permission, you know, and completely beyond our, any, whether or not we're ready, you know? Uh, so yeah, interesting stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, for me personally, um, through my journey, I, I really feel God is love. Um, and I think when you start to, and look, maybe if I'm wrong, I'm not sure, but um, everything is vibrating. Everything is a frequency. You know, every particle is vibrating. There's nothing that, anything you see that's solid, um, you know, isn't. It, it's a perception that we have of reality. Um, but when everything is vibrating at a specific frequency, when you are sitting in yourself, and you feel an undeniable sense of love, a huge emanating sense of love that fills your entire being, you know, and you can, you can feel that love when you look into somebody's eyes and you truly, you know, love them. You can feel it when you're in yourself. And when the more you feel that love, when you're sitting alone with your eyes closed, you can look at anybody and see that love, you know, because it's just there. And for me, I think that that is what God is, is it's that emanating love and the more that you release a lot of um uh 
a lot of judgment that you hold towards the world around you, you are actually releasing a lot of judgment onto yourself. Um, and so with the whole psychological element, um, you know, a lot of people hold on to so much um, baggage from the past. They have these habitual stories, these cycles that fall into habitual patterning, um, that fall into, you know, what they do in their day-to-day -day routine, how they see the world. And you can go through cognitive behavioral therapy or the, you know, there's multitude of different avenues that psychologists will sit down and try and work through uh, with somebody how to overcome those issues. But fundamentally, if you had to let go of what happened in the past and fully embody what is happening right now, you know, I think that that is so powerful and so um, healing in so many ways. Um, so that's for me where the psychological element mm -hmm. comes in and, and where that God element mm -hmm. comes in is that that space of love because you cannot judge the past you cannot judge anything when you are feeling love yeah exactly and you know this this was something that you know really is um contained within a structure of symbolism really well in christianity you know originally people you know who were when Christ, christianity once held a very vital part of in our uh, in our culture that was one of the mechanisms by which we could interface with that process and interface with an experience of the from the purely psychological sense you could say the psychic factor that we call god you know that can be described as god it's it's a real psychological experience but it's you can't come to that experience through you know reading a scientific textbook on psychology it's not going to happen like that the only way it can happen is through deep uh, you know religious you could say religious experiences um, and not necessarily Christian in nature, not necessarily, you know, a specific um, process, but you're going to have a very hard time coming to that experience just through your, you know, the use of logic and ration, uh, rationality. And so, you know, that was once what the function Christianity served, but, you know, we've thrown that out the window quite, um, quite viciously, you know, uh, and I think without realizing what we're, what we're really doing, you know. Mm. There has definitely um, been a shift away from um, Christianity within the West. But, you know, in saying that, I think there's been a huge push towards a lot of um, Eastern or, you know, as we're experiencing a lot more globalization, there's been a lot of integration with a variety of different religious or spiritual beliefs. And um, I think then the generation that's coming forward has kind of merged a lot of them together and so you'll take on some buddhist principles of um you know releasing attachment you can take on some christianity principles of you know love thy neighbor as you would thyself or you know looking at those commandments um, and really embodying a lot of them um, and then you can look at um even muslim if you look at the quran there is so much beauty that is written within um that religion um but mm, you know in mm. every avenue you always have extremists and it's almost like the extremists will use a reason in order to um in order to project their anger onto the world so you'll have um mm. extreme mm -hmm. yeah i mean so it's just really focusing on um the beauty that each one of those has presented and how you can utilize these ancient texts that have been around for um you know thousands of years and and how you can actually um embody what they're saying and practice that and seeing the impact that that has on your both your psychological and then obviously your physical uh way in order and how you interact with the world mm, mm. no absolutely you know and I, uh, I think it really is a pity um that we in the, the the modern society have gone away with all of this um all of our religious practice but i think it's something that you know we'll relearn the value of quite severely in the coming decades um the world today really is the modern west at least is, is really becoming very uh very bare of uh, religious and symbolic processes and so what we're kind of doing is we're, we're essentially we're essentially restarting a process that has taken tens of thousands of years to where we're arriving at so the psychic factors that are contained and directed through religious experience didn't disappear. They're still here with us. And it's just that now that they're completely, they're completely free to run and do whatever they want. There's not really any uh, process of integration that happens anymore. You know, even our psychology isn't 
doesn't really do much to address it. You know, cognitive behavioral therapy, though it has its merits, really is, um, from what I understand, a process of teaching people techniques to calm themselves down rather than, you know, instigating any kind of authentic psychological transformation, which was, you know, the, the original purpose, um, I do believe, of religion um, was, was to contain those forces, you know. And it's, um, it's really a question we have to ask ourselves, you know, was, you know, was it, um, was it really just, you know, a, an exaggeration that all of the previous ages have held these convictions about religion and spirituality? You know, it seems from my perspective, it was really that man's nature itself really is rooted in spirit. You know, you could use terminology that's more palpable to our, our, our limited modern dialect. Uh, it was due to the psychological structure of man being fundamentally dependent upon external projections of itself into its, um, its primordial environment, if that makes sense. Mm, no. um, you know, and then when we ruthlessly cut away at what we called superstitions, you know, of the past with uh, this this acts we call rationality, you know, we, we end up assaulting our very humanity in the process, I think, you know, originally man rarely did awake from, uh, from like a sea of the unconscious um, and his conscious will, you know, relatively speaking is still very young. Um, you know, it's a, it's, it's like a, it's kind of like a, a small, a small light that's kind of growing out of uh, a flower that's rooted in, in the primordial earth, you know, and we've got to be really careful that we don't destroy the roots that um, give our psyche its uh, essential vitality. Mm. And so yeah. would you say then that religion or spiritual practices can enable you to get out of your um, subconscious habitual processing and more into the conscious or? Well, Look, I, I think from, from, the, from what I've learned from Jung, you know, religion rarely is just a, it's essentially, it's essentially psychology that has been developed over thousands and thousands of years. However, it doesn't have modern terminology attached to it, you know, and it, it doesn't have a perspective of reducing the psyche to, you know, it's just chemical reactions or it's just your brain it uses a language which we're much more accustomed to you know and in our in our development we're much more um, suits the nature of our minds it uses the language of symbolism and uh you know shall we say you you know what i mean the the, the classic how religions are structured the way that they are the way that the psychological information is transmitted to individuals is completely different to the way it is in psychology. But, you know, fundamentally, I, I do believe that both um, processes that are there to assist the psychological development of, um, of people. So. Yeah, well, it's there to help them overcome both of them. Is really there to help them overcome their past issues, literally, as one is in order to embrace today fully. So, whether you are praying, um, wholeheartedly saying, Hey, you know, I please, Lord, I wish, um, uh, can you bless X, Y, and Z, or, or help give me the strength to overcome X, Y, and Z, you are, um, even you are, you are taking those ideas and you're verbally speaking them out. You're trying to work through them. You know, journaling is another avenue, you're sitting and writing down all of your thoughts. Um, so there are different avenues is, so there are multiple avenues in order to overcome that past um, errors that you're facing yeah exactly and you know and when you say a prayer when a Christian sits down and he says a prayer and he's fully you know he completely believes in what he's praying you know it works it really does work and you through that process of ritual are connecting with the part of yourself that is otherwise inaccessible you know so I, yeah again i think it's very dangerous to just throw this all out the window especially when there's no replacement for it and we have no um nothing similar to it in our culture it's it's very dangerous you know i think we're experiencing now the um 
I think we're experiencing the consequences of, of yeah, not being able to sit down and pray to, to uh, pray to the, the great spirit about our problems, you know? Mm. No, phenomenal. And so with your um, transition now, has there been any, um, anything that you'd like to share or is there any direction in which you would like to go towards now? So you've moved out of biomedical science. Um, you've moved into holistic health, focusing on the body, which you felt now there's more to life than just focusing on the body. And so you're transitioning onto psychology. Where do you see yourself moving forward? Uh, so really, you know, originally I did see myself becoming a holistic health for the, uh, coach for the long term. Um, but that is something that has changed. I love holistic health. I think it's a brilliant discipline. I think that, uh, you know, it really has a lot of potential for the future. And I, I do think that people are going to move a lot more into approaching themselves from that perspective. But my experience um, and who I am as a person really has always been understanding the nature of uh, psychology, spirituality, and uh and really tying that all together in a way which makes sense to me. You know, that's just how I, that's kind of how I tick. So in the future going forward, I'm probably going to, to aim to become a, uh, or I will aim to become a clinical psychologist and I will be integrating, however, in that process, um, all the principles I've learned through biomedical science and holistic health coaching. So again, you know, it works both ways. If someone's going to come into me with uh, depression, if I have a discussion with them and find that they're eating, you know, McDonald's every day, then, Hey, that's step one, you know, that's, that's holistic health coaching. that will be coming in very strong. And, you know, I'll probably run all the measurements I do now in my coaching business with psychology, because I don't want to be running around in circles for months, you know, with a problem that using psychological techniques and psychoanalysis and all this crazy stuff, if rarely, you know, they just got to stop eating garbage or, They've got to go exercise once a week or, you know, they have to, you know, go eat uh, more vegetables or they're not eating to their diet type, or whatever they're adapted to or suited to. So that's probably me going forward. I'll, I'll probably have a, a little sign outside of my, my workspace that says something along the lines of holistic psychologist. <laughs> we'll see. Awesome. Awesome. And if you could um, share one message with the world, uh, what would it be? I think I would say it's essential, especially in this day and age, that you remember you are a being of subconscious nature first and consciousness second. And you need to respect that and orient your life around that. I think that's, that's probably one of the most important lessons I've learned. Yeah. Uh, you could almost say submit to the gods in a way and uh, follow their wisdom. You know, if you want to use a symbolic language, it's, it's, it's very important. Otherwise, you'll, you'll rarely have a hard time. You'll rarely have a hard time. Yeah. No, brilliant. Well, thank you so much uh, for uh, spending this time here and uh, sharing your thoughts and your journeys. And um, who knows, maybe we'll have another podcast in a few years' time when you have achieved and cultivated yeah. um, what you wish. And, yeah. yeah. See the growth. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Awesome. No, thank you. Cool. So much.